Chapter 3 Miss Mary Taylor The Quest of the Silver Fleece by W. E. B. Du Bois Recorded by A. J. Hilton This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Mary Taylor did not take a college course for the purpose of teaching Negroes. Not that she objected to Negroes as human beings, quite the contrary. In the debate between the senior societies, her defense of the Fifteenth Amendment had been not only a notable bit of reasoning, but delivered with real enthusiasm. Nevertheless, when the end of the summer came, and the only opening facing her was the teaching of children at Miss Smith's experiment in the Alabama swamps, it must be frankly confessed that Miss Taylor was disappointed. Her dream had been a postgraduate course at Bryn Mawr, but that was out of the question until money was earned. She had pictured herself earning this by teaching one or two of her specialties in some private school near New York or Boston, or even in a Western college. The South she had not thought of seriously, and yet, knowing of its delightful hospitality and mild climate, she was not averse to Charleston or New Orleans. But from the offer that came to teach Negroes, country Negroes and little ones at that, she shrank, and indeed probably would have refused it out of hand had it not been for her queer brother John. John Taylor, who had supported her through college, was interested in cotton. Having certain schemes in mind, he had been struck by the fact that the Smith School was in the midst of the Alabama cotton belt. Better go, he had counseled sententiously. Might learn something useful down there. She had been not a little dismayed by the outlook, and had protested against his blunt insistence. But, John, there's no society, just elementary work. John had met this objection with, hm, as he left for his office. Next day he had returned to the subject. Been looking up Toombs County. Find some Cresswells there. Big plantations, rated at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Some others, too. Big cotton county. You ought to know, John. If I teach Negroes, I'll scarcely see much of people in my own class. Nonsense. Butt in. Show off. Give them your Greek and study cotton. At any rate, I say go. And so, howsoever reluctantly, she had gone. The trial was all she had anticipated, and possibly a bit more. She was a pretty young woman of twenty-three, fair and rather daintily molded. In favorable surroundings she would have been an aristocrat or an epicure. Here she was teaching dirty children, and the smell of confused odors and bodily perspiration was, to her, at times unbearable. Then there was the fact of their color. It was a fact so insistent, so fatal, she almost said at times that she could not escape it. Theoretically, she had always treated it with disdainful ease. What's the mere color of a human soul's skin? She had cried to a Wellesley audience, and the audience had applauded with enthusiasm. But here, in Alabama, brought closely and intimately in touch with these dark-skinned children, their color struck her at first with a sort of terror. It seemed ominous and forbidding. She found herself shrinking away and gripping herself lest they should perceive. She could not help but think that in most other things they were as different from her as in color. She groped for new ways to teach colored brains and martial colored thoughts, and the result was puzzling both to teacher and student. With the other teachers she had little commerce, 
They were in no sense her sort of folk. Miss Smith represented the older New England of her parents, honest, inscrutable, determined, with a conscience which she worshipped, and utterly unselfish. She appealed to Miss Taylor's ruddier and daintier vision, but dimly and distantly, as some memory of the past. The other teachers were indistinct personalities, always very busy and very tired, and talking schoolroom with their meals. Miss Taylor was soon starving for human companionship, for the lighter touches of life and some of its warmth and laughter. She wanted a glance of the new books and periodicals, and talk of great philanthropies and reforms. She felt out of the world, shut in, and mentally anemic. Great as the Negro problem might be as a world problem, it looked sordid and small at close range. So for the hundredth time she was thinking today, as she walked alone up the lane back of the barn, and then slowly down through the bottoms. She paused a moment and nodded to the two boys at work in a young cotton field. Cotton! She paused. She remembered with what interest she had always read of this little thread of the world. She had almost forgotten that it was here within touch and sight. For a moment, something of the vision of cotton was mirrored in her mind. The glimmering sea of delicate leaves whispered and murmured before her, stretching away to the northward. She remembered that beyond this little world it stretched on and on, how far she did not know, but on and on in a great trembling sea, and the foam of its mighty waters would one time flood the ends of the earth. She glimpsed at all this with parted lips and then sighed impatiently. There might be a bit of poetry here and there, but most of this place was such desperate prose. She glanced absently at the boys. One was Bless Alwyn, a tall black lad. Bless, she mused. Now who would think of naming a boy blessed save these incomprehensible creatures? Her regard shifted to the green stalks and leaves again, and she started to move away. Then her New England conscience stepped in. She ought not to pass these students without a word of encouragement or instruction. Cotton is a wonderful thing, is it not, boys? She said rather primly. The boys touched their hats and murmured something indistinctly. Miss Taylor did not know much about cotton, but at least one more remark seemed called for. How long before the stocks will be ready to cut? she asked carelessly. The farther boy coughed and Bless raised his eyes and looked at her. Then after a pause he answered slowly. Oh, these people were so slow. Now a New England boy would have answered and asked a half dozen questions in the time. Uh, I don't know, he faltered. Don't know? Well, of all things, inwardly commented Miss Taylor literally born in cotton and oh well as much as to ask what's the use she turned again to go what is planted over there she asked although she really didn't care goobers answered the smaller boy goobers uncomprehendingly peanuts bless specified oh murmured miss taylor i see there are none on the vines yet i suppose though it's too early for them then came the explosion the smaller boy just snorted with irrepressible laughter and bolted across the fields. And bless, was Miss Taylor deceived, or was he chuckling? She reddened, drew herself up, and then, dropping her primness, rippled with laughter. What is the matter, bless? He looked at her with twinkling eyes. Well, you see, Miss Taylor, it's like this. Farming don't seem to be your specialty. The word was often on Miss Taylor's lips, and she recognized it. Despite herself, she laughed again. Oh, of course it isn't. 
I don't know anything about farming, but what did I say so funny? Bless was now laughing outright. <laughs> well, Miss Taylor, I declare, goobles don't grow on the tops of vines, but underground, on the roots, like yams. Is that so? Yes, and we, we don't pick cotton stalks except for kindling. I must have been thinking of hemp, but tell me more about cotton. His eyes lighted, for cotton was to him a very real and beautiful thing, and a lifelong companion, yet not one whose friendship had been coarsened and killed by heavy toil. He leaned against his hoe and talked half dreamily. Where had he learned so well that dream talk? We turn up the earth and sow it soon after Christmas. Then pretty soon there comes a sort of greenness on the black land, and it swells and grows and, and shivers. Then stalks shoot up with three or four leaves. That's the way it is now, see? After that, we chop out the weak stalks and the strong ones grow tall and dark till I think it must be like the ocean, all green and billowy. Then come little flecks here and there, and the sea is all filled with flowers, flowers like little bells, blue and purple and white. Ah, that must be beautiful sighed miss taylor wistfully sinking to the ground and clasping her hands about her knees yes ma'am but it's prettiest when the bowls come and swell and burst and the cotton covers the field like foam all misty she bent wondering over the pale plants the poetry of the thing began to sing within her awakening her unpoetic imagination and she murmured the golden fleece it's the silver fleece he hearkened was that he asked have you never heard of the golden fleece bless no ma'am he said eagerly then glancing up toward the cresswell fields he saw two white men watching them he grasped his hoe and started briskly to work sometime you'll tell me please won't you she glanced at her watch in surprise and arose hastily yes with pleasure she said moving away at first very fast then more and more slowly up the lane with a puzzled look on her face. She began to realize that in this pleasant little chat the fact of the boy's color had quite escaped her, and what especially puzzled her was that this had not happened before. She had been here four months, and yet every moment up to now she seemed to have been vividly, almost painfully conscious that she was a white woman talking to black folk. Now, for one little half hour, she had been a woman talking to a boy. No, not even that she had been talking just talking there were no persons in the conversation just things one thing cotton she started thinking of cotton but at once she pulled herself back to the other aspect always before she had been veiled from these folk who had put the veil there had she herself hung it before her soul or had they hidden timidly behind its other side or was it simply a brute fact regardless of both of them the longer she thought the more bewildered she grew there seemed no analogy that she knew here was a unique thing and she climbed to her bedroom and stared at the stars End of chapter three